Welcome to Beards and Buckets. I am finally back, uh, COVID-free, still recovering because the congestion has been crazy. Uh, and I got to give a shout out to my man Dal here for uh, holding down the fort uh, while, while while I was out and hosting Cam uh, for the conference alignment craziness that's happened. So, Dal, how you doing, man? It's been it's been quite a few minutes. It has. Uh... Glad to be back with you. Glad that I don't have to do intros because every time I do those, it makes me very nervous. Um, but yeah, uh, excited to talk about the two teams we had tonight. Excited to get back on the the train of recording every week with with you. And and I went to Liquor Barn. Well, this is now like a week and a half ago, but I went to Liquor Barn and got six new beers. Uh, so I am stocked and ready to go for our beer review pods. Well, that's. You always love to hear that. Uh, I haven't had a beer since like it's two weeks. Uh, It's been a long time. I feel like, you know, and if you ever watch, it's always sunny when they go, uh, they quarantine and they stop drinking and they end up getting sick. And I think it's because of this like epidemic that's happening. It ends up being that they just have a reliance uh, on uh, Mm -hmm. alcohol, uh, dependence on alcohol where they get sick if they don't. That's what I felt like at the same time. But. No, it's an, it, my trip to Arizona was very fun. Um, it's just unfortunate that I got COVID uh, like less than halfway through. So that 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 really sucked, uh, especially hiking with COVID, not knowing you have it. Uh, you're just short of breath and you're going up hills and it's just not fun at all. Seems less than uh, ideal. But yeah, so if you ever get lightheaded, if you ever get lightheaded now, like in this time of the year, you know, in this pandemic or whatever, uh, I didn't know getting lightheaded was one of the symptoms of having COVID. So I just thought it was heat exhaustion because it's super hot and I was doing a lot of hiking and it turns out it was COVID. So, uh, so I apologize to anyone that was on the trail that day because I definitely had COVID, <laughs> but uh, man, that's been basketball. I've had the basketball fever, uh, no puns intended uh, because like summer league has been so much fun. Oh my goodness. Like Dal, this has been a better draft than I thought it was going to be. What do you think? Uh, I think that the draft has pretty much lived up to my expectations. I think we kind of knew that all three of the top three guys were going to be good. We knew Jaden Ivey was going to be good. He's looked awesome. Um, but I feel like where this draft kind of lacked a ton of the star talent at the top, it had a bunch of guys that were clearly going to be NBA ready and be able to, uh, I to contribute pretty early. So, I mean, like, Jalen Duran has been an absolute monster and has been showing off a bunch of playmaking uh, that he didn't really get a chance to show at Memphis all that much. Um, a bunch of other just young guys taking leaps in their game on the same team. Like Isaiah Stewart is now like stretching out and taking a bunch of threes, which is very, very shocking uh, for the Pistons. Bunch of bunch of guys showing out, um, and summer league is just it's almost like better college basketball because it's guys that would all be if not the best towards the very best in college basketball because you definitely have some guys from either coming from overseas or just kind of stragglers that have played around in the G League for a couple of years like Michael Mulder for the Kentucky fans listening. Like Michael Mulder is on a summer league team and he even now probably wouldn't be like a top tier, like elite college player, but just getting to, yeah, watch 
guys that you have watched the last couple of years in college and them go out there have gotten better, more developed, but it still is kind of a chaotic, just a chaotic vibe. But if you're looking at like the D and D thing, it's definitely chaotic. Good. Uh, which yeah, I mean, it just is, is a ton of fun. Yeah. I mean, I've been watching games that I normally wouldn't care about just because uh, following college basketball more closely than I have before this year, uh, you get you get invested in these players. So um, it's been really fun to watch. Like you said, Jalen Duren's been really good. Jaden Ivey, obviously, really good. Uh, the 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 thing about it is that like I really love the decision to shut down the people that you know play a game or two, like no, or whatever. Bad, I bad. hate the decision to. I hate the decision to keep playing guys that don't need to be playing. But why don't they need to be playing? Like from a fan, as a fan perspective, like I want to watch it. Like I want to watch it, but there's no reason like the lineup that, you know, the, the magic play you put out there last night, uh, you know, Manuel Terry, like is the starting five and he's going up against Chet Holmgren. Like we don't need to see that. Like, I don't know. And it, it just really bothers, not bothers me, but you would think that they learned their lesson last year. OKC did with Giddy spraining his ankle last year, like in the first game or whatever, summer league. And so, like, I get why they ha- why they had him out here for this year, but just to keep playing him, like, I wouldn't be surprised if we get an announcement before tomorrow night's game that they just shut them down, like those two down. But it makes no uh, sense because you you could see other talent though. It, I think one of the best things about summer league, from a team perspective, if I was a GM or whatever, is this gives me a time for guys especially guys that have already been in the league and you kind of know what their role is, it gives them a way to try and push the boundaries of what they can do. You can ask guys to play make if that is what they need to grow on. You get them, especially for these teams with young cores like the Magic and the Thunder and everyone else, like getting Chet and Giddy reps now in actual games before they have to go out and do it on the court is infinitely valuable. It, there obviously is downside in the potential risk, but I think the ability to get them reps and get them playing, like the same reason why we have been giving Shaden Sharp crap for the last year about not playing and not getting any experience and not being able to be out there is the exact same reason why I think that getting your guys as many reps, you obviously shouldn't like go out there and actively put them in harm's way and overplay them minutes wise and that kind of thing. But getting them reps and games against, even if it's not all NBA level competition, getting them those reps and getting them to start building the chemistry of those young cores, I think is infinitely more valuable than the potential risk of them like getting hurt. Cause It'll probably happen to like one or two guys. I know EJ Liddell tore his ACL, which got announced uh, today. And like, that's obviously awful. But I think the upside is far outweighs the potential risk, I guess, is is my thinking on it. I don't disagree. I think it, it honestly depends on each team. I think if you have somebody that had as many minutes that Giddy logged last year in the actual league, I don't know if he necessarily needs to be playing as much as he is playing right now. The amount of minutes that he's getting, uh, you could like, I, I get your point of like, you want to see what can happen, but at the same time, there's, there's a risk. There's, you got people that are fighting for NBA contracts out there playing much harder than, you know, some of these guys that are going to get 
league minutes guaranteed. So like, it's not like they're purposely doing it, but they could be playing, you know, just playing harder than other people, you know, injuries like that happen. You know what I mean? So um, I just, Gideon and Chet don't like, we've seen an, an, enough what they need to do. You need, it's time to get Chet in the weight room now. You know what I mean? Like he, he could benefit more from being in the weight room right now than I, than I think he could benefit playing against Emmanuel Terry's of the league. But what's the difference between that and a scrimmage and practice? Like in practice, you're going hard, especially off season practices, you're going and you're playing, you have an ability to get hurt there. I would say that getting reps in a game, like this is as close to game, a game scenario as you can get in terms of NBA offseason. And so almost like these are way more valuable than anything you could get from even a practice against like actual NBA players, I feel like. And there's also still the risk of injury there. Like the risk of injury is always there. I obviously get like trying to to downsize that as much as possible by keeping them out of like that. Obviously you have a less risk of injury if you are not playing than you do if you're playing but that just seems marginal whereas the benefits of getting them in and getting them reps is just seems like that it would be more than that marginal like decrease on the injury risk yeah like like i said i think it depends for each team like i could tell you right now the magic shut down paulo because they wanted they needed to see you know they wanted to see what what paulo could do as like you know, in that point forward role that he can play. They wanted to see what he could do, you know, just make it being, make being a playmaker by himself. But like, we barely seen what he can do as far as like being around a, a, a better roster, you know, like his, his shooting ability um, and the, like being around um, floor spacers, his passing ability is better than I thought it would like, than I remembered that when it was, when he was at Duke um, and he was around some, like there, he made passes and assists in the two summer league games that well, they weren't end up being assist because somebody either like messed the pass, like didn't catch it right. Or, you know, brick the brick, the shot or whatever, but he was, he's been making good passes. And so like, there's no, be- like there's no benefit to him continuing to play, continuing to maybe get injured when he could start getting like reps and, and practices and things like that with the roster that he's actually going to be around. Um, and for the Magic, they're wanting to see – they're basically seeing what who they're going to send to Lakeland at this point. But um, all that – all this to say is I don't think there's like a total right or wrong answer. I think it's dependent on each team. Uh, I like the decision for the Magic to shut down Paolo. I even tweeted that out before their game. I would love to see them play the Thunder, um, like go up against Chet and Giddy. But like they played a close game even without Paolo and without – uh, RJ Hampton and without Admiral Schofield. So um, it was, it, it was still encouraging to watch them fight back in that too. Is the potential development of one of your corner pieces of your franchise more important? Is that less important? How, how, how should I phrase this? Is, is finding out who you're going to send to your G league team in Lakeland and still like maybe competing for a summer league championship more important than potentially not maximizing the amount of development that you can have for what would be your cornerstone franchise piece, I guess is what it comes down to. Yeah. And I think, I think they, they found out like things that he can work on in just the two games alone. There's no point in him trying to work on that 
in live ball situations right there when he could work with Mose, he can work with Jonathan Isaac or, you know, whatever, whoever it is that he's going to be working with to fix certain parts of his game, maybe ball security work with Wendell Carter Jr. or, you know, whatever as a big man. Um, so what might as well go ahead and do that now while they have the time before fall camp, you know, rolls around uh, preseason rolls around and then you could see those changes come preseason. But I think they already know, like they've already evaluated. He says, "Like I've seen enough. I'm ready to. I'm ready to work on it." Yeah. I guess my thing is, I just that I would never think that I have just seen enough, or that there's no further development. That like you can always develop off court and at certain skills and find like the people that are going to fill out your G League roster. You can do that during the G League season. Why not use this time that is set up where you have five games to be able to play your star player in a role that is probably going to be way more than what he's going to get at the NBA level and let him develop. But that's just me, I guess. I don't know. I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. I think it's a case by case or team by team thing. I guess you disagree, but that's fine. Um, we got to, we got to move on though. Cause we have a packed episode. So we are going to move on to the beer review uh, I'll just let you, the listeners know right now, I'm not drinking tonight. Uh, I am, I'm still recovering, still congested. Don't want to be mixing that with Mucinex and all that stuff. So, uh, but it is a beer that I've, I've tried before. So I'm going to review this one. So that way Dal could wrap it up with the true beers and buckets beer review. Uh, but the beer that I had, it was a couple weeks ago. I bought it the same night of the draft that I bought the, uh, the honey Pilsner, um, but it is Dewclaw Brewing's Low Key, and it's a wheat ale with pineapple flavor. It's uh, 3.6 uh, alcohol by volume and 12 IBUs. It got a 3.5 out of 5 on untapped, so not like great, probably middle of the pack. When I had it, it was like there, I was definitely expecting more pineapple. So it's not a pineapple wheat ale, it's a wheat ale with pineapple flavor. So it's like, it's almost like they like, had like they cut a pineapple in the room and then made a wheat ale. <laughs> like there's not a whole lot of pineapple flavor to it. Uh, definitely more wheat ale than pineapple flavor, but still, still pretty good. Um, you kind of, you can kind of have to know what you're going into. So uh, my comparison for basketball or football in this, in this fact, because like when they're on, I watch them is uh, the Hawaii warriors. Because uh, you you kind of have to know what you're getting into. Plus, with pineapple Hawaii, you know, there's the connection there. So, uh, but you know, they're never going to blow you away. Uh, they're never going to be fantastic, especially with recruiting because all the restrictions that they have there. So, uh, when it comes to recruiting, and they don't really give campus visits, unfortunately, which you know would be a main reason why I would go if I was a recruit. Uh, but yeah, the uh, it it definitely is not the best beer I've ever had, but it's different and. I would definitely drink it again. So what are you drinking tonight, Dal? Oh no, I like what you're putting down with the with the Hawaii and the pineapple. I think that would be something I would really enjoy. I like pineapple just in general. Yeah, I love pineapple. So I, I definitely wanted a little bit more pineapple flavor, but it you know, it, it still is pretty good though. I still enjoy it. Let's see what this one has. So this is I got in since I assumed we were going to do a podcast last week, we, which we obviously didn't do, but I got this one uh, for what would be like, have been like around our July 4th episode. 
Uh, and there's so there's a brewery called 21st Amendment that I know makes a hell or high watermelon that is super, super good. It's like a watermelon-y uh, wheat ale. Uh, and all of their stuff is, um, is kind of like President America uh, themed. So this is, I got their Brew Free or Die. Um, yeah, and that's how you'd say it. Um, the packaging has it like written in a funky way, but it's their, it's their IPA. It's 7%. It's 70 IBU. I'm trying to see what it has on untapped. Um, let's see. Brew free. While I pull that up, I'll go ahead and give it an open. Um, Oh, I guess it shook up because it exploded on me. That's not good. Bummer. <laughs> uh, well, you know. It has a 3.8 on uh, on here. Apparently, they also have a couple different like variations of it. They have like a, a blood orange version, a tropical version. Um, it's pretty good. Sounds pretty good. I like the theming yeah, of it. Despite the whole... Despite the whole explosion, despite the whole explosion thing, uh, no, that's really good actually. It like you can tell it's it's like a you can tell it's an IPA. Like it's pretty strong relatively to most beers, but I don't know. It doesn't have the like really rough. It's really smooth uh, throughout, so it doesn't have a lot of the kind of negative parts of an IPA that you get where. You get the really, really strong bitterness uh, kind of yeah. coming through. So I really like it. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm going to compare it to anywhere in college basketball, I'm going to compare it to – is it the Super 6? Is that what all of the um, – is that what the – the teams in Philadelphia – is that what they're called? The Super Six? I believe so. Yeah. Well, I'll compare them to that since that's where uh, the the like Declaration of Independence and all that stuff happened there. So I'll compare it to just that group of six teams uh, headlined by Villanova. That's all I'll go with because there's, there's a lot of flavors and stuff in here, so can't just do one team. Fair enough, definitely fair enough. All right, so we're gonna move on from the beer review. We have two teams we're talking about tonight. If you couldn't tell by the name of the episode, we are covering the Providence Friars <clears throat> and and Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, so we're gonna talk about Providence first because they were the team that was up next in the ranking. I think week eighteen, I think it was, or, or whatever week it was. The final, not the final poll for the season, that but the final regular season poll. Um, but yeah, Providence is our first team. They finished twenty seventh and sixth uh, on the season, fourteen and three in the Big East. They finished first in the Big in the Big East. They finished thirteenth in the AP top twenty five. But Ken Palm was not a fan. Had them finished. Uh, 32nd in Ken Palm. So um, definitely interesting. And maybe that's the final Ken Palm ranking, like for the regular season, like for the entire season and not just uh, for the regular season there, but 
still interesting to say the least uh, because this team. I think it is. I think it is tournament. Yeah, probably tournament included. But Providence had some good wins this year. Uh, I didn't pay super close attention to them. We like we talked about with uh, Gus from Screen the Screener podcast, and he had made the point, and we kind of fell into it. It's they are the luckiest team in college basketball this year. Felt like they they had like the luckiest hand dealt ever this season. They just they lucked out on a bunch of wins. Even that first weekend of the tournament, uh, like other people were noticing how lucky this Providence team was. Uh, so on, and we even said on St. Patrick's Day, like you don't you don't bet against Providence um, on St. Patrick's Day because it just makes no sense to do that. Uh, but they uh, they have they have a lot of people leaving this year. So this team that you know that found themselves 13th in the AP top 25, they have a lot of people leaving, a lot of minutes leaving. They have a lot of seniors left, uh, a couple of summer league contracts, one transfer. Dal, give us a rundown of this of the departing players. Yeah, so I think the two the two biggest names in terms of like points per game are Al Durham and Nate Watson. Uh, those guys both graduating. Then you got Noah Horch, Horchler, Horchler. That's a strange group of consonants. Uh, he averaged just under ten points a game. And then AJ Reeves, who had who got a summer league deal with the Celtics. He actually has been kind of one of the guys that I was kind of pleasantly surprised with uh, in watching a couple of the Celtics games. Um, yeah, their summer league team is just really boring and not great. Which kind of makes sense with all the like picks that they've uh, kind of gotten rid of. So, uh, so yeah, we have have those four guys. Those guys all are essentially at ten points per game or better. So losing four pretty key guys. Uh, Justin Manaya is also someone they lost. He is on the Hornets summer team right now. And then Bryson Gooding uh, is transferring to Fairfield, which he was at essentially two points per game and are half a rebound per game. So not a huge loss there. Uh, but those are the, those are the guys that are, that are leaving, which I mean, obviously when you lose three guys to like straight up graduate graduation, and then another two to the NBA and a transfer, even if it's a small guy, um, losing six of your players, especially for, I mean, the big East is obviously power five, power six conference. Um, so it's not like that they're, some super small school, but it still is uh, – it's not a place where you're getting a ton of elite recruits. So losing six-year players, especially when four of them are really, really solid contributors, and there's a, a fifth there that is um, a seven-point-per-game score, like that's pretty significant. 100%, yeah. Um, they are returning their third leading scorer in Jared Bynum. Um, so that, that is good news. It's not like they're like, it's a total, like a total rebuild there, um, or reload there. So, but they also have Ed Croswell and Alan Breed coming back. Those guys average 5.3 and 3.2 points per game respectfully. And then they have a red shirt freshman that we didn't see them play at all. Uh, Rafael Castro. So they have some, some pieces returning. They have a lot of incoming, obviously, if you lose seven players or, six players you're going to have six or seven come in so they have a couple pairs of four stars coming in Jaden Pierre yep. uh he's a point guard from uh, Elizabeth New Jersey and Quante Berry he's a shooting guard four star from uh Cleveland Tennessee 
uh, which fun fact is where the vacuum was created. And if you didn't know, uh, been there a time or two when I lived in North Georgia. <laughs> it's true. Where did that come from? That's awesome. <laughs> I believe you. That's just, I wasn't expecting that. You could say that place really sucks. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I was going to, I was going to make a, I was going to make a, a suck joke, but I'm glad you got to. They also have a couple of transfers coming in. One name that uh, college basketball fans should recognize because he's been, he's been here and there. Uh, Clifton Moore, not, this is not the name, but Clifton Moore from LaSalle. He averaged 12.9 points last year. He's a forward, uh, 6.1 rebounds per game. So he's coming in to fill some spots. Noah Locke, that's the name that college basketball fans should know because uh, he was at he was at Louisville last year and the year before, or a couple of years before he was at uh, Florida. So he was at 9.6 points per game, um, two, 2.3 rebounds per game. Um, Devin Carter from South Carolina, I also have a fun fact about Devin Carter. Do you know the fun fact or you have any guess as to what I'm going to say? <laughs> Did he invent the vacuum? No, that was Herbert Hebert. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, um, Devin Carter is the <laughs> son of the Mets ex-GM. So he actually worked out for – or is it Devin Carter? Was it Justin Minaya? Justin Minaya, that's who it was, who also played at South Carolina at one point in his career. Justin Manaya, who's playing for the Hornets right now, he worked out for the Knicks, and it was brought up because he was the son of the former Mets GM. So not Devin Carter, uh, but Justin Manaya. I got those two confused. But both came from South Carolina in their careers before. And uh, Devin Carter averaged nine points a game, 3.8 rebounds a game, 1.8 assists a game. And then a name that uh, at least some of our most of our listeners should know, Bryce Hopkins, forward from Kentucky, who averaged 2.1 points per game and uh, 1.4 rebounds per game. So um, they also have a red shirt from UConn, Corey Floyd, Floyd Jr. I don't know anything about him. Couldn't find a lick of information about this kid. So <laughs> not sure on like how to get your hopes up there. But the handful of transfers that they have in, I think might not be immediate impact, but they could definitely uh, maybe year two, year three would be a solid core to work with. What do you think, Dow? So honestly, Noah Locke, when he transferred from Louisville, and honestly, when he transferred from Florida originally, he was a guy that I wanted Wake to get just because he's a, or well, at least was supposed to be a solid shooter. I think he kind of dropped off the map a little bit in terms of his shooting accuracy last year. But I mean, I think Noah Locke's a really good piece. He's played at two Power Five programs. If nothing else, he'll be ready for the level of competition that they're going to face. Um, Clifton Moore, his uh, his kind of metrics look really good. He was 27th in the country in block rate last year. He's a 6'10 guy that played pretty much, well, played both power forward and center, but mostly center for that LaSalle team last year. Um, yeah, he honestly, I mean, in terms of conference rank for LaSalle, and he's he's got a, like a little, that little, you know, the little yellow uh, highlighted red number that means that you are ranked in a certain area. Like he has those across pretty much every single spot on his uh, on his conference-only stats from last year on Ken Palm. So that's a I think that I mean I think that's a great piece, especially when you are losing two two big front court pieces there with Watson and Horschler, as well as Manaya. So uh, I while 
it, you never want to see a team like this lose six guys. I feel like that you definitely got a bunch of upside, if not for this year, for next year, in terms of the the players that you're bringing in. Bryce Hopkins might have been punching a little bit above his weight at Kentucky, but he was a freshman and showed some flashes. I was at that LSU game where he went off. And if he can play like that in a system that's a little bit more freed up and will give him a little bit more leeway to, to kind of play, I think that he can – I think that he'll really see a big step up, um, get two power five transfers at the guard position. I, I think that, like I said, if, even if not – this upcoming year, the next year, I feel like that Providence is really set up to be competitive in the Big East for the next couple of years. Yeah, anything they get out of this upcoming season is kind of just like cherry on top, house money, whatever. Because uh, I think I think building this roster, getting these transfers, is more of a long term approach. Uh, especially, you know, he hasn't Cooley hasn't been at Providence that long, right? This is only like his second or third year there, right? Am I, am I crazy? Um, I believe this is his second year, but let me check. Oh, what? Never mind. No, he's been there since <laughs> 2012. What the hell? Never mind. Uh, I'm going to delete this. Who are we thinking of? Because there's definitely. <laughs> you can leave this in. This is kind of funny. Who cut are we that, thinking cut of? That, cut that. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I didn't hear about him until like two years ago, but maybe that's just. I don't know. I... <laughs> He's been there since 2011. The listener hasn't heard. I'm, I'm so confused. Anyways, we don't know ball so apparently. <laughs> uh, but still think Providence has come like they've made their kind of their money off of uh, you know like building for a long term. It's not like they're getting like high level recruits in and out each year. So they when they build a roster and they get transfers, it's to maybe not be immediate impact, but next, you know, next year, the year after or something like that. So um, with that said, uh, is there anything else about this province team we should look out for? Like what, what's a realistic projection that we can kind of give this team? Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and say right now, I don't think they're going to be finishing first in the big East like they did this past year. Uh, but I, th- I still think they're, they could be competitive in the big East. What do you think? I mean, it's gonna take it's gonna take them one upping last year's team in terms of being the the most lucky team for them to to finish first. Going through this, God, the Big East is so deep, man. There could literally be a bunch of teams that end up. I would guess they probably finish like fifth or sixth would be my guess. Villanova is probably the pick to finish one. Connecticut will be good. Creighton, it's Villanova and Creighton will probably be one two. Um, Seton Hall, Marquette, UConn. Yeah, I'd say like sixth is probably where I would spot yeah. Providence. Which obviously is disappointing after finishing first, but you have to think of you had six players leave, uh, four of them averaging ten points per game. You know, so uh, you're you're gonna have you're not gonna have instant success like that. You know, like the next season. So. And I mean, looking at looking at this too, you you had the top six teams. Six teams from the Big East made the conference or the NCAA tournament last year. All of them were nine seeds or better. So, in theory, I mean, finishing sixth in the in the in a conference like the Big East that was honestly probably better than 
both the ACC and the Pac-12 last year. Like, that's nothing to, to like, I don't know what's the saying, like, put your nose up to, whatever the saying is. Of like, yeah. That's nothing to, to be ashamed of, getting six, because you probably are still making the tournament at that point. Oh, definitely. Like you said, it's a deep conference. I agree with that, yeah. All right, well, let's move on. So we covered the Friars. Now it's time to cover the Badgers. Wisconsin, um, or as T-Pain would say, Wisconsin. Um, but they finished 25-8. and eight. I should have worn my Wisconsin shirt. <laughs> they finished 25-8 and eight on the year, 15-5 and five in, in, the, in, the, in the Big Ten. They finished first in the Big Ten, and they finished 18th in AP Top 25 and 37th in Ken Palm. Obviously, the Ken Palm includes the uh, the tournament success as well. But um, all that to say, this was a, a pretty decent Wisconsin team. I remember watching them in the beginning of the year. They they played Texas uh, Texas A&M, I think, is when they played Texas A&M. A&M had, was up like 20 in the first half, and then Wisconsin rallied back and just never looked back. Uh, Johnny Davis is a good player, but... He's not our favorite player, as we've mentioned on this podcast. He's a departing player. Um, obviously, <laughs> went to the Washington Wizards. He averaged almost 20 points a game last year for Wisconsin. It's going to be really hard to replicate that success out of anybody that you get. Um, but there's there's a couple, you know, there's a other, you know, there's handful of other players that are le- that left as well. You had Brad Davison. He's a senior guard. He averaged 14 points a game and four rebounds. Pour one out for Buzzcut buzz Brad. Yeah. Just pour one out for Buzzcut Brad. You also had Lauren Bowman, uh, the second. He's transferring to Oakland University. He was like sidelined for a good amount of time due to a non COVID related illness. Um, he didn't average like, I mean, didn't, he averaged three points a game, one, you know, one rebound a game, half an assist a game. Uh, so didn't get a lot of run. Uh, but he's transferring to a smaller university, so there's a reason for that. Uh, being closer to home, going to Oakland. Chris Vogt uh, is a senior center. He averaged 2.9 points a game and three rebounds a game, so not losing a lot there. And then Ben Carlson, uh, he's transferring. He's a forward. He's transferring to Utah, and he averaged one, you know, one and a half points a game. And then Matthew Moore's um, impossible to find anything on this kid. He redshirted, but he's transferring to South Dakota State. So they're losing, it seems like a lot, but really they're losing two significant players and they're kind of reloading with some decent players. They have a lot returning. Dal, can you let us know who's returning on this team? Yeah, before I do, it's funny when you said Ben Carlson, I was like, wait, the guy that was like the the famous neurosurgeon? And then I realized that's Ben Carson <laughs> without the L. The Uncle Tom, uh, Ben Carson. Not Ben Carson. Ben Carson Ben Carson did not did not play for the Wisconsin Badgers last year. Um, but no, returning players. Tyler Wall is the main one. Uh, he and Steven Crowell will kind of be the the two big pieces in the front court there, both forwards, averaging eleven point four and nine essentially. Uh, we got Chucky Hepburn, former Wake Forest Demon Deacon, Jacoby Neath. And Jordan Davis are the the guards that are coming back, and then Carter Gilmore and Chris Hodges are two um, two guys that essentially had no impact last year. But Chris Hodges are, was a red shirt, by the way. 
Hence his hence his lack of his production. lack of stats. Yeah, I thought I meant to put that on there, but yeah, he's a red shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, they. Uh. Yeah, but so they have they have all those guys. Go ahead. I say they have all those guys. They also uh, got a three star commitment from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh. That his name is Connor Essegian. Essegian. Man, no idea how to pronounce it, to be honest well. with you. Uh, anyway, three-star shooting guard. Yeah. Uh, and then two actually big big transfers, both from lower-level programs, uh, one from Wofford and one from Green Bay. But Max Klesmet averaged almost 15 points a game for Wofford last year, and Kamari McGee averaged almost 12 points for Green Bay. Both those guys sitting around two assists per game, probably going to be more shooting guards uh, to try and replace the scoring that um, that you're going to have to, to replace with Johnny Davis moving on. I would guess that Jacoby Neath is going to be seeing a lot more run at the, at the one. And then Chucky Hepburn, I think, also averaged a little over two assists per game, so you probably see an uptick in him taking on some more of that playmaking role, but it, it, I think that if we're going to comment on their overall roster makeup, I think that's the one thing that is really going to be interesting for a team that likes to, to play extremely slow on the offensive end of the floor for them to not have a like really, really clearly defined point guard or at least like ball handler to have a ton of usage. That just seems kind of strange to me. Um, so we'll be interesting to see how Greg Gard kind of plays that and shifting what will need to be a probably a pretty big scheme shift from uh, what they were what they were doing last year. As of right now, they only have three forwards returning. I, I'm not sure about Chris Hodges because he redshirted they didn't have a lot of information on him. So could be a center, could be a forward. But even then, they have like three forwards and six guards. Uh, so it should be an interesting, definitely different Wisconsin team than we're used to seeing. Uh, and I, I, I really, like, I can't tell you anything. Like, I can't tell you what to expect out of this Wisconsin team. I can tell you that you're not going to get, like I said, with Providence, you're not going to finish first in the Big Ten uh, like you did this past year. I don't think that's going to happen. There's too many other teams with returning talent that, you know, they just didn't return a lot of talent for this team, obviously, especially, you know, their best player. Uh, but Wisconsin should, um, they, there should be a learning curve in the, you know, first couple months. November, December should be a little rough for them, but I think they'll get it. They'll get it together. I like Greg Gard. Um, never been a, been, been a huge Wisconsin fan, but I think Greg Gard is a good coach and kind of, um, mm-hmm has kind of almost uh, outkicked his coverage as far as coaching, or I, I don't know if that's the right term, but he's definitely exceeded some expectations for what I had for him, at least uh, in his time at Wisconsin so far. Um, what do you think, what do you think, like where can you honestly put this Wisconsin team to finish in the big 10, at least uh, I'm, I'm going to say probably like fourth or fifth is where I, I think this Wisconsin team is going to end up. Yeah, I think, I mean, Michigan will definitely have a bounce back year with Hunter Dickinson back. I would probably go the six or seven range. I think, 
I mean, they they lose one more game in the Big Twelve last year, and they drop or the, in the Big Ten last year, and they drop to potentially fourth um, or third. So, like, the Big Ten's always super competitive. So the difference between a team that finishes yeah in second and finishes in seventh is is usually not that big. Just a couple games. So I would go probably sixth seventh something like that uh i will say so i was just looking up the the players heights it it looks like that they will only really have one guy that plays like legitimate minutes for them that is well actually i guess two because chucky hepburn six two so other than chucky hepburn they will have only one guy that is below six two which means that they don't have a ton of size in terms of big, like, towers. Stephen Crowell is a seven-footer, but besides that, they'll be really in that 6'4 to 6'9 kind of range, super switchy, um, which I don't know exactly how that works in the Big Ten, which is kind of known for its its big men uh, and definitely has a lot of size. But I think overall it's a pretty strong roster, at least from a – like size and length perspective, pause. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the uh, I, th- I think this Wisconsin team, like I think five, uh, six or seven is, pr- is probably fair. I think we'll probably land in the middle and say like five or six, you know, somewhere between there. Um, a lot of Big Ten teams are returning some talent, obviously. So you never know. Um, what Greg Gard can do. You never know what these guys can do as far as like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, uh, Max Klesman. See if that, see if that, if his skills will translate. I mean, averaging 15 points a game is hard to do in any, uh, in any conference. So see if that translates to maybe like nine or 10 points a game uh, would be, would be huge for Wisconsin, obviously. So um, we'll see. So let's move on to the all-time Wisconsin starting five and six-man. Dow, do you want to do the honors? You can start. All right. So for our point guard, our starting point guard, I went Devin Harris. Um, I mean, he probably played more shooting guard, but I just I just felt like he'd probably be better of the options of the all-time players at Wisconsin. He was better suited to play point guard. He's a little bit smaller. Um, so yeah, that's, that's who I had for the all time point guard. What do you think of our shooting guard here? Yeah. Michael Finley is who we went. I think that that's a, that's a really solid pick. I, I think Wes Matthews is probably the only other guy that I would consider for this guard spot. Um, Oh, no, wait, that's a different West Matthews. Yeah, it's not the it's same one. <laughs> Never mind. It's <laughs> that, that guy graduated in 1980. Just kidding. Never mind then. Um, yeah, no, Michael Finley, I mean, those those Mavericks teams with him, uh, with him on them were were nasty. So, and he, he's, he's one of those guys, too, that I feel like that if you were able to get him, like, into today's NBA, man, he would be even better. He's yeah. – Six seven two twenty is like the perfect kind of. He would play probably the two or the three in uh, like in his time in the NBA. But man, he would be a perfect 
one of those guys that has like a small ball four that could defend and, and fill up uh, the bucket for you. So I, I mean, yeah, he's, I kind of forgot that he went there too. Granted, graduated in 95 whenever we were like zero and I was one born. years old. So that <laughs> kind of makes sense too, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you have at small forward? I went with uh, Sam Decker. Uh, I think it's tough because we talk about like we typically look at names on these all time starting fives and we we think of their NBA success. And obviously Sam Decker didn't really have any NBA success. Uh, But I mean, in his time at Wisconsin, he went to a final four um, and then and then went to a championship game. And they don't they don't beat that one of the best teams ever in college basketball ever without his play to get them there in the final four um, in, in 2015. I mean, he was doing whatever he wanted to, uh, to Kentucky's guards and he was just taking it to him. So I went with Sam Decker and then that season he averaged 13.9 points a game. So uh, he was, he was kind of do it all kind of, kind of guy, kind of player for them out of the small forward position. And I feel like you got to give him his, his credit here and put him in the all time starting five. What do you think? Yeah, I'm super down. I think that if it's not him, it's another guy who I will bring up in our conversation because he honestly is probably more of a power forward. So we're going to uh, disagree a little bit on on who you went with from the power forward perspective. So I, I went with Alano Tucker. This is not a Connor pick. This is more of I look at the consensus of – uh, how players are favored. So I'm up for changing it. Um, who do you think deserves to be power forward? My pick would have been Nigel Hayes, who I think kind of like Alondra Tucker didn't have a ton of success in the league, but he was kind of the next person after those, that Sam Decker, Frank Kaminsky team. And I just, man, I, as much as I, especially in those couple years after they, beat that 38 and one team like I just would hate sitting there and watching Wisconsin and then as I would sit there and watch I'd be like man Nigel Hayes is just so fun to watch he's so good so I would put him at power forward yeah and I, I like that there I'll, I'll keep I'll replace Alonda Tucker and put uh, Nigel Hayes in there and uh, we'll uh, do a poll on Twitter and see if people agree with our all-time Wisconsin starting five Ooh, yeah but to round things off for the starting five, the, I think this should become at no surprise. It's Frank Kaminsky as our starting center. I mean, his senior year, he averaged 18.8 points a game, was on that same team that took out the 38 and one team. So, um, I mean, they don't like he was he was kind of owning the entire Kentucky fr- uh, front court there. So, uh, <laughs> like it was there was not much that he like he was getting his shots. He was doing whatever he wanted to do, basically. And uh, it's not just for that game, obviously, but I mean, like I said, 18.8 points per game on the season's a really hard feat. Uh, and he was, he was doing, he was doing grow man stuff that year. Uh, so he deserves it. Like I said, it hasn't translated super well to the NBA, but in his time he went, he went uh, to a final four and then he went the next year to the championship game. Uh, not much. You can't ask for much better unless you're a blue blood, as, you know, in my opinion. So, um, what do you think of our six man? Uh, yeah, it's Johnny Davis. Um, I would be 
shocked if there was a higher draft pick uh, from Wisconsin in the draft. So you can say recency bias or whatever, but uh, probably not too many 20-point scorers and lottery picks no. uh, throughout the hallowed history of the Wisconsin Badgers. And plus, he just is a perfect person to have as a six-man too. Like that scoring punch off the bench, a little bit of a little bit of playmaking uh, makes makes too much sense. Definitely. So, all right. Well, that is our starting five and six man. Uh, if you agree, if you like it, go vote. Um, if you dislike it, tell us why. Tell us who you'd replace. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep that up on Twitter for the next week or so. Um, so Dallas, it's time for our last call, man. I'm getting a little sleepy, get a little tired, ready to go to bed. Uh, what, what is your last call for us tonight? <laughs> so I think mine is, and it's something that I put out on Twitter, uh, the other day, but while watching summer league, it's just like baffling to me, the people that still kind of criticize co- the college game of college basketball, especially college basketball coaches for, and this is said with major air quotes, not adapting and not pulling in a more NBA style. Like there's, I feel like that's said all the time is, oh, you need to play a more modern brand of basketball, play more like the NBA. And then you go and watch summer league, which is like we said earlier, the elite of the elite college players and a bunch of grown men that have had way more experience and ability to develop, um, then the 18, 19 year old kids that you're playing in college and they can't even run a, like any semblance of a coherent NBA offense. And then you, so imagine like if the elite of the elite and guys that have been playing professional basketball for years can't do it, then it's just, it just seems wild to me for people to expect getting guys that have were going to their high school prom six months ago to be able to fully come in and understand how to run what ends up being a very complicated offense if you're trying to run NBA sets I know that at the end of the day it is just kind of like running plays but it it obviously comes into it more than that uh or everyone would just be a coach and everyone would be able to run stuff that they run in the NBA so while I agree that the college game should always be pushing the envelope on trying to get more modern and do as much complicated stuff that will help guys prepare for the NBA, but also just make the product better. Um, I think it's worth kind of pumping the brakes a little bit on acting like that, that's some easy change that is that's like a fault of the coaches for not being able to implement thoughts. I 100% agree. If it was that easy, they would be doing it at the AAU level, and they don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's You have to have shot makers yeah. to run an NBA offense. Obviously, the NBA is going to make it look easy because they are the best in the world at what they do. It's like trying to go you know like he's trying to play golf like it's like watching tiger woods play golf and be like oh i can do that and then go play putt putt and go par for every you know, <laughs> putt um, and you know, putt putt and mini golf or whatever like it, it is it is impossible to compare it so i 100 percent agree with you on that because there's just no, there's no point like 
basketball in itself is very fluid and you have to find things that work. And so for like, you know, we, we cover all college basketball. We have a lot of Kentucky fans. Kentucky fans complained about Cal's offense last year. The offense was a, was a top five offense in the nation. That's not something you should complain about ever. It was it, at one point it was number three. You know what happened? You know why you shots start you know like shots started stopped falling. That's why the offense struggled there at the end because they were super injured and shots were falling. And you had your highest your your best three point shooter playing thirty eight minutes a game because it just wasn't a super deep team. It's a more of a bro- roster makeup issue, and it really wasn't an issue. It was just a string of crazy injuries, um, but. All that to say, it's stop comparing people's like greatest product ever to amateurs, <laughs> like because they're still amateurs. <laughs> so uh, you have to you have to take the right. college basketball into uh, you have to take a grain of salt when it comes to college basketball and, and stop expecting them to shoot like fifty threes a game. So um, my last call, absolutely. My last call is uh, shoot. I had I had one in mind. Um, I mean. Like enjoy enjoy the summer league for what it's worth. Don't get too overhyped. Like I I overreact obviously to Paolo Bencaro highlights for the first two games, but uh you know like I know there's obviously flaws in his game. Like you control your friends and have fun. Shout out to Scott. Uh, he's been on the podcast before. We've been on his podcast before. Uh, Scott Clark from uh, Courtside Connect and Matt Sack obviously. But I love to troll. I love to you know, mess around. I even messaged Dal and was like I'm gonna troll Scott here and make fun of uh Froddy Barnes or Scotty Barnes. Uh, but no, like just, it, just have fun. Take, take things with a grain of salt at summer league. Uh, but you know, there's a lot to be excited for, um, for as NBA fans. And as far as college goes, I mean, like Kentucky fans, you get to see your team in less than a month. So that's pretty exciting. You only get that once every four years this early. So, uh, but keep in mind the last time we saw this Kentucky team go to, the Bahamas, uh, they they immediately got their crap rocked uh, night one against Duke. So, uh, like I said, taking things with a grain of salt. These are exhibition games; they're not super indicative of how everything's going to be ran. But you had to be excited last last time, last go around when you saw Tyler Hero playing as well as he did, considering he was a four star. And uh, I I would love to see something like that come out of this year's team. So, um, Dal, do you have anything else before we head out, man? Um. No, uh, go back if you haven't already. Go back and listen to the pod I did with uh, Cam covering the commentary alignment stuff. It was just super, super interesting to talk to him about it because I feel like that the conversation really is so well. It's built around football because that's what the decision is getting made on. Like these conferences are changing because of the money that comes along with football contracts, but it obviously is going to impact every sport, but especially college basketball. So going through and go back and just, yeah, check out what we had to say about it. Um, haven't seen a ton of coverage, really any coverage at all on how it's going to impact the the college game. So uh, go listen to that. And other than that, you can find me at do underscore well Harmon on Twitter. Uh, been tweeting out some funny things to make fun of Connor on the beers and buckets uh, Twitter as well. So go follow us there. Give us a rating review if you have any, you know, any feedback for what we can do on the pod. If you have a question for us, uh, definitely, definitely shoot that over. We're always looking to, to interact. 
A hundred percent. Yeah, he's kicking the man while he's down. Stuck, you sick with COVID and making fun of him on Twitter. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, definitely. Please leave a, a rating, um, even if it's bad. We want to hear your feedback. We want to make sure that the you know that you actually enjoy our content. If you're if you have suggestions, obviously, like shoot us a message. We're super open to ideas and everything like that. So uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. And then uh, yeah, go share this episode if you don't mind. Uh, we covered two teams, so if you know a Providence fan, go buy a lottery ticket and then go share this episode because uh, they're probably like, you probably never met an actual Providence <laughs> fan before. And uh, Wisconsin, you know, we've had our ups and downs as far as my relationship with you, but uh, bygones be bygones. I will never forgive you for the thirty-eight and one team loss. Uh, but enjoy this episode as we give a little bit of compliments here and there to uh, the Wisconsin Badgers. So um, you guys have a fantastic week and we will catch you probably sooner than next week because we have to get back on schedule. So we will talk to you guys soon. We thank you for listening and you guys have a great week. Go Jacoby Neath. Go Badgers. Go Friars. I hardly know this. <laughs>